uh, to be in Jeremiah chapter 30. It's an exciting opportunity for us, so if you would join me there. There are some exciting things happening in our world today. I don't know if anybody watches the news. A lot of exciting things going on. Uh, I think times like this that we experience, that we uh, endure, go through, um, do a couple of things for us. Hopefully, one of the things they do for us is not cause us to become overly pessimistic. Uh, there's a reason why God in his word has given us hope. And he gives us hope so that we don't surrender, uh, so that we don't uh, develop this pessimistic attitude that says, well, ultimately, what do we know? We know that uh, the world's going to get worse and worse till Jesus comes back. Um, but that is not a challenge for us then to just lay back and wait for it to all burn or go up onto a mountain and say, Lord, come get me out of here. Hopefully it's stirring us up. Paul gave us a, a promise in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul said that there's a crown waiting for everyone, not only for him, but for everyone who has loved his appearing, loved the appearing of the Lord. He has a crown, and that crown that he has for those who loved him is not for those who sold everything they had and went up on a mountain in a white robe and waited. Loving his appearing, Jesus told us, right? If you love me, you will. Keep my commandments. And there's one really loud commandment he gave us at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's such a loud commandment that it's called the Great Commission, right? To go into all nations, make disciples of all people, teaching them, right, the things that Jesus commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord said, and lo, I am with you, how long? Till the end of the age. So we're not to panic, we're not to freak out, we're not to, to go crazy. I see a lot of people go crazy. So let me help you with a couple of things. Uh, this uh, current... Uh, uh, idea or, or concept out there right now that we're running out of change and we're moving toward a one world economy is probably true. I, I don't have a hard time believing that we're moving toward a global reset, uh, which means there's exciting times, right? Global reset. Bible's talked about that for a long time, right? This is not new. The concept of mankind finding himself one more time under uh, the rule of one guy that's going to come through it, although it won't be immediate. But here's something else. There's, I hear a lot of people talking about chips. You know that a microchip is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, right? The Bible says nothing about don't take a microchip because a microchip equals the mark of the beast. The Bible tells us about the mark of the beast. Let him who sees have wisdom, right? His, humor, his number is a human number. The human number, six, 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 one less seven every time. That's the number of man. The number of man, uh, man is infinitely less than God is, right? There is a worship that has to be attached that, to the idea of men not being able to buy or sell. Not just the idea of buying and selling. I know there's been movies 
that tell you that the mark of the beast is a chip that you put in your finger and it has all the numbers on the chip and we'll want to understand whatever thing they're trying to inject us with. If that day ever comes, we'll want to know. But just know, the Bible doesn't say beware the chip. The Bible says beware the mark. Right? So we want to be aware. We want to be good Bible students. Not good uh, movie theologians. Never get your theology from a movie. Okay? It's probably, yeah, Facebook too. No, no Facebook theology, but let's have good, solid biblical theology. And that means we want to know, we want to understand, look, it's all part of the system. Don't misunderstand me. That's all part of the system. One world government probably going to be divided by 10 nations, right? The Bible talks about the number 10, 10 toes, 10 horns. The Bible tells that the Antichrist is going to come up out of those 10 nations, tear up three of the horns by the root, going to wipe out three and then take over. That's going to happen. But Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells you that's not going to happen until the falling away occurs first. Now, here's one of the interesting things. Maybe we're looking at that today. Maybe that's, maybe that's what we're seeing right now because there's a bunch of chaos, a bunch of problems and struggles that we see going on. But listen, the Word of God, here's your hope. The Word of God tells you that you are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about not being appointed unto wrath, that does not mean you won't be hungry, the sun won't burn your face, that bad guys can't come get you. That's not wrath. The Bible says you're not appointed to the wrath of God. You are appointed unto salvation. And one of the things we talk about when we talk about the end of days, we're going to talk about tonight because it's in Jeremiah 30. That's why we're talking about it now. One of the things we're going to discuss when we talk about the end of days is the concept that that great day is called the wrath of God. God, throughout his word, has been able to deliver the righteous and the wicked, deliver the righteous from judgment, deliver the wicked to judgment. God has always shown himself able to do that, right? You guys remember the story of Lot? And the angels come and they drag Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the judgment fell. Was God able to deliver Lot out of judgment? For sure he was. The flood comes in Genesis chapter 7, but if you read Genesis chapter 5, there's a guy we meet there. His name was Enoch. He was a righteous man who walked with God. What's the scripture say? Did God deliver Enoch? The Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. Now, script we're going to talk about tonight, that when we talk about eschatological plans, okay, that is a big word that means trying to understand the end of days. How does the end of days look? How does this all fit? We want to build that concept biblically, okay? So what is the Bible telling us? What is the Bible laying out for us? And so we're, gonna, we're going to get a chance to discuss some of that tonight as we look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Now remember when we look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah is not a chronological book. The prophet put together his prophecies in or under categories. Chapter 1, he talks about his call. The next 25 chapters, 2 through 25, he talks about judgment, right? This is the judgment, God's judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. Now here's something you need to understand. 
Israel has been gone for 150 years. The nation divided into two. The northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. Judah and Jerusalem lasted 150 years longer because they had some godly kings that led them into revival that extended their time so that they faced judgment 150 years later. But the northern kingdom has been gone for 150 years. When you read Jeremiah, Israel's not there no more. There is no Israel. There is only Judah. When we come to Jeremiah 26, up until 26 to 29, those sections, those chapters of Jeremiah are focused, God focusing on the false prophets. His message to the false prophets. That's 26 through 29. Beginning in chapter 30, he's got some new things for us. The next four chapters are different than all the other chapters we've gone through. And these four chapters are going to be focused on the idea of God's comfort for his people. So his people are going to be experiencing unique things. And when we look at this, and I'm going to try to point out to you in chapter 30 as we go, when we look at this, I'm going to show you why we know that the vision of prophecy in Jeremiah 30 is looking to the future, not to the time of Judah. So we look at it. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. From the Lord, right? This is coming from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. So, <clears throat> hey, this is why we have the book of Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah is going to collect the prophecies that he gave. It's going to be in the book of Jeremiah. Why is God specifically telling him to write it down? Jeremiah could walk outside, stand on the street, in Jerusalem and speak the prophecies to the people for whom it's for. Why would God tell him, you need to write these down? He'd tell him, you need to write these down because there's things in these that are going to be for people who aren't standing here right now. I want you to write these down. Look at verse 3. For behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will restore the fortunes of my people. Who does he mention? Israel and Judah. Is Israel still there? There is no Israel. Hasn't been in Israel for 150 years. So God's talking about restoring the totality of the nation. That does not happen in the Old Testament. The restoration from exile is Judah. He's talking now about a total restoration. A total restoration of the nation, says the Lord, I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. So God is saying, there is coming a day when the nation, which is a prophetic sign for us, the nation of Israel has always been a prophetic sign. The fact that it ceased to be a, a nation in 70 AD and returned in 1948 is a sign. The nation came back. It was rebirthed. We have never seen that before, and we have not seen it since. So this is a sign, a sign that will occur in the last days. Now, I don't want you to get too crazy about the idea of last days. The idea, the understanding of the word, the last days, began at the appearance of Christ. So from Jesus Till we see his face, 
That is the period of time known as the last days. That period of time has lasted for 2,000 years. But we want to understand that is an age. That age, that period of time, is the time in which we have the church. It's when we have the, the, the birth of the, uh, and the fulfillment of the prophecies leading up to what the Bible calls the great day. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment. So look, we have this idea, the source of the message from the Lord. Write these words down. They're not for today, they're for the future. The coming days, when the nation will be restored, both their fortune, and I would argue that hasn't happened yet. When he says, I'm going to return to you the fortune, I would say that the fortune that the nation of Israel lost at the time of the Babylonian conquest was the temple and everything in it. And you go to Israel today and there is no temple and nothing in it. And we have prophetic scriptures that talk about a temple. Paul, in fact, mentions that we'll know the midway point of the tribulation period. How will we know that? Because the man of sin, the son of perdition, will stand in the Holy of Holies and declare himself to be God. And there's no temple today. So, we can't be close to the middle if there's no temple there. there. It's not there. There's no secret temple anywhere. You can go and look. It's flat. Nothing there, right? There's a temple institute that are developing the things for the temple, but I would say that when, he, when the Lord talks about, I'm going to restore their fortune, uh, to me, I'm seeing that the temple restored. I'm seeing those things coming back. So I don't start counting dates from 1948. I don't start counting from 1964 or whenever they got Jerusalem. I'm looking for the fulfillment of, of this prophecy. And I'm believing because as I look at our world today, man, you, two years ago we'd all said, oh, that's, that's going to take a long time to happen. No, apparently it's just going to take 2020, Right? You paid attention to what's happened in 2020? A pandemic? Incredible, probably the greatest level of civil unrest that I've ever seen in my life, and I started a long time ago. <clears throat> so you have all this civil unrest, and then all of a sudden where we don't have change, we have a change shortage? What in the world? Who'd ever see that coming? There's a, <clears throat> there's a change shortage, there's a there's a group of guys getting together that are asking for and hoping for a global reset. Uh, you have the whole world suffering under all these things. Look, the civil unrest is not just in the United States. You know that, right? So Black Lives Matter went to London. What did they do? I don't know. But they went to London. They're, they're all around. The civil unrest is spreading all around the world. It's incredible to look at. These are things that Jesus talked about. Specifically, Jesus said, nation would rise up against nation. That word is ethnos. He's saying that people will be divided along ethnic lines. Isn't that what's going on? It's crazy. It's crazy. But look, the Bible has been talking about it. Look at verse 4. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning, here's the two again, Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of, of panic, of terror, and no peace. 
Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? He's talking about the reaction of the people. Now, <clears throat> I don't think he's talking to Judah. I think he's looking forward to a time he's going to describe in a couple more verses. We'll see it. But I think he's looking forward to a time of unprecedented panic, unprecedented terror, unprecedented lack of peace. He's describing it as labor pangs coming on a woman. Now, I heard that somewhere before. Didn't we have a, did, did Jesus talk about that? Like labor pains on a pregnant woman, this is how the coming of the Son of, uh, the Son of Man, the coming of the Lord would be. Look at verse 7. Alas, that day is so great, there is, how many like it? None. Now, just so you know, the conquering of Babylon over Jerusalem and Judah, this prophecy, 30, 31, 32, 33, are given during the time of Zedekiah. It's the last conquering of Babylon over the nation. It's the, it's the end. And it, he's saying there's never going to be another time like this. Well, just so we can be aware, 70 AD was probably worse. So I don't think that fulfills what God's talking about. This, he's talking about a day. There will never be another day. There will never be. That day is so great, there will be none like it. Gosh, seems like the Bible's used that phrase before, though. Zephaniah 1.14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, and the mighty man, he cries aloud there. Revelation 6.17, for that great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Revelation 16.14, and they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for a battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never shall be. So he's talking about unprecedented time, right? And the reason why this always comes up is every generation looks at their world and says, man, it's never been like this. It's never been like this. But what did Jesus say? What did Jeremiah say? It's going to be like labor pangs on a pregnant woman. Yeah, as she's moving closer and closer to the birth, the pains get more and more intense, right? Until we arrive at the birth of the day the day now when we talk about that phrase don't think of 24 hour period of time it's not what he's talking about the day of the lord is a day of an intense judgment from god deliverance of the righteous destruction of the wicked that's the great day of the lord the bible describes it in revelation chapter 19 as the battle of armageddon the bible describes it in revelation chapter 20 as the battle between gog and magog we also see Isaiah talking about that same battle, the battle of Gog and Magog, the day when evil will be put down once and for all and good will prevail. Scripture talks about this day more than any other day. Here Jeremiah is saying, there will be a day, none like it. 
It is a time of distress for, what does it say? For Jacob. Some of our translations say it like this. It is a time of Jacob's trouble. It's also what a lot of people, depending on how you look, when, when we study the book of Daniel, we come to Daniel chapter 9, it says 77s are determined for your people, and depending on how that's interpreted, I don't want you guys to think there's only one view of things, but depending on how that's interpreted, we have one seven-year period of time that's left out. And most people call that the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation, which lasts how long? And the only place in the Bible that will give you the fact of a seven-year tribulation period is Daniel chapter 9. Revelation doesn't do it. You're not going to find seven years in Revelation. What are you going to find? Three and a half years. Time, times, and a half time. Right? You're going to find a lot of other things. But you're not going to find a seven-year tribulation period except in Daniel chapter 9, the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. And depending on how that prophecy is deciphered, we come up with a seven-year period of time that takes place after uh, the, the resurrection of Christ. We're looking for this establishment of the king. That's what the seven-year tribulation does. The seven-year tribulation establishes the king, a new king, a new kingdom, which will never pass away. Who's that king? Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so we look at it, he's saying, there's a day. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Jacob will be saved. The, the language here means that Jacob is going to endure. There's a picture all throughout the Old Testament of God bringing his nation, the nation of Israel, through tribulation. Noah, you guys remember the flood? God's judgment comes upon the earth. But Noah's not taken away from the flood. Noah's not snatched out like Enoch is. What is Noah? Noah does what? He endures the flood, right, to the end. And then he comes out at the end. It's a picture of God delivering the nation, God delivering the nation of Israel through it. They will be saved through tribulation. When we look at Jesus' word in Luke 21, 36, he's talking about God's judgment, the judgment of the nation, the, the, the things that are going to come in 70 AD. He says in Luke 21, 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. That message, Luke 21, <clears throat> is for the nation of Israel that are going to face the, the judgment of 70 AD and saying, you need to pray that your able you have the strength to endure that time of judgment that is coming and it came it occurred and the lord delivered his people now we look at revelation 3:10 and you have something a little different in revelation 3:10 it says because you have kept my word about patient endurance this is a letter to the seven churches because you have kept my word about patient endurance i will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the, what's it say? Whole world. The entire earth. He's talking about a period of judgment that will come upon the whole earth. And God specifically says to his church, because you are faithful, I'm going to keep you from it. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. 
the period of time of God's judgment. For we are not appointed unto wrath. The wrath of God has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so this is the great hope of the believer and the difference between the hope of the believer and the nation of Israel. Now when we look at verse 8, he says, It shall come to pass in that day, what day? That great day, the day of God's judgment, <clears throat> declares the Lord of hosts that I will break his yoke off your neck. I will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. What is the result of this day? The result is the end of all oppression. Man has never been able to alleviate oppression. All that happens is whoever brought the revolution oppresses the people who oppressed them. It's always been that way through the history of man because man, all man knows is revenge, 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 right? And it's never enough. It's never satisfied. That's why the word of God declares, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God is the one who is able, right? He will put an end to all oppression and in particular, the oppression of his people. And when he breaks off the yoke, from off your neck, and he bursts your bonds, you will serve the Lord. They, man will serve the Lord. At the kingdom of Jesus Christ, what are people going to do? They're going to serve the Lord. They will know the Lord. They will see the Lord. And they will serve the Lord, their God, and David, their king. Now, David, throughout prophecy, is going to be a picture of the Mashiach Nagid. David is a picture of the king that is a man after God's own heart, right? David was an a, a, uh, imperfect example of Jesus. Jesus will be the ultimate fulfillment of a king like David will come. A king like David. The righteous, holy, perfect, just king. David, their king, will be their king, and I Will, uh, whom I will raise up for them. So the establishment of the kingdom that occurs right after the great day of the Lord. The final judgment has occurred. The battle of Armageddon is finished. Gog and Magog is done. Jesus sets up his kingdom. He will rule on the throne of David. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He's going to rule and reign. So he goes on. What is the instruction then? What, what are we to do about it? Verse 10. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob will return and have quiet and ease, and none will make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but I, of you I will not make a full end. So God's going to judge those nations who have oppressed the nation of Israel, those who have, Scripture tells us, right, those who bless the nation, he will bless those who curse the nation. <clears throat> he will curse God, saying, look, for those who have oppressed then they will, they, I will make a full end, but I'm not going to make a full end of Israel. That's not to say that does not mean every choice Israel's ever made is godly. You understand that, right? 
There's something in Scripture called God's grace, that God delivers grace to those who don't deserve it. God's going to deliver his grace to a nation that doesn't deserve it, the nation of Israel. They're not special. They're not holy. They're not saved in a different way than we are. Scripture says that the, the, Jesus said to his own people, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they will say that. There will be a day. That great day that the Lord is calling for. The peace that will come. Quiet ease. None will make him afraid. Jesus Christ ruling and reigning as king. God able to save and deliver from far away. Right? He said, I'm going to do it from far away. I'm going to bring you out of captivity. Just so you know, there are more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel. So, and... Certainly, I would even go so far as to say there are more Orthodox Jews practicing Judaism in New York than there is in Israel. The Lord says, I'm going to bring you from far away, your offspring from the land of their captivity. I will judge the nations and make a full end of them, but I will not make a full end of you. <clears throat> God is saying, I will discipline you in just measure. And I will in no way leave you unpunished. Listen, I will discipline you in just measure. I will by no means leave you unpunished. Does everybody, everybody stands, has their day before the judge. Right? Everybody. Doesn't matter if they're the nation of Israel or the church. Everybody has their day. And everyone is saved the exact same way, by faith in Jesus Christ. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the acceptance of the nation of Israel to Jesus Christ as their king. But there will be a day. There will be a day. Psalm 89 says, if... His children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules. If they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. The Lord saying to the nation of Israel, if they mess up, I will get them, I will judge them, I will hold them accountable for what they do, but I will not stop. The hopeful thing for me is if God is that faithful to the nation of Israel, how faithful is he to you? Are you glad he doesn't give up on you? Because he doesn't give up on you either. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. How, how much is never? That's a pretty long time, right? I'll never leave you or forsake you. So there is a wound. Look what he says. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable. Your wound is grievous. You cannot save yourself. You cannot heal yourself. In fact, in verse 13, there is none to uphold your cause. No medicine for your wound. No healing for you. There's nothing there. What did, what did the Lord say in John chapter 3? All men stand before God, how? Condemned, right? Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world. He said, you're already condemned. 
Jesus came to the world that the world might be saved. Saved. Verse 14, all your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you, for I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great. Your sins are flagrant. Look, God is saying, all those people that you thought were your friends who were going to bail you out, who were going to be there through thick and thin, God says, none of them are going to be there through thick and thin because I have struck you. They can't fix it. I am condemned before Lord. Why do you cry over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great. Your sins are flagrant. So I have done these things to you. I have, the Lord is saying, look, I have done these things. There is no healing. The burden of my sorrows is this. It is my choices that have led me down this road. The Bible tells us there are two roads, a path of life and a path of the path of the wise and the path of the... So we want to choose the wise path. Who's the lady wisdom is a picture of Jesus Christ who calls all day long and says, come, follow me. Jesus said, I came to give you life. And life how? Abundantly. Where's the path of life? We don't have to wonder. Jesus said, follow me. Come, follow me. Come, go his way. It's our choices. Our sin is flagrant. Right? The judgment of the world. Their sin is flagrant. Verse 16, therefore all who devour shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you will be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make a prey. God says, I will avenge. Are you and I capable of delivering justice? No, we're not capable because we have way too many emotions attached. But God is able to deliver justice. Does God know the condition of the heart? Does God know the things we don't understand? So the Lord says, I will judge. I will avenge. There's no pass. Just because you've never seen something happen to somebody who done you wrong doesn't mean that God has let it pass. He says he'll take care of it. He asks you to trust him. I will avenge the bondage. And there will be a restoration. Look at verse 17. I will restore health to you. If your wound is incurable and you can do nothing to cure it, where's your hope? Your hope can only be in the Lord. There is no other hope. It's Him. We sit around, even today, and we watch the news and we look at all the chaos around us and, and maybe we feel hope evaporate, but what we should think is there's only one cure for what ails us. The Lord is the only one who can do it. It's not going to be because you wore a mask that you saved the world from obliteration. It won't be because you obeyed or disobeyed the nations, the governments around the world. The only person who can deliver us is the Lord. And the only way to engage that deliverance, according to Scripture, is to pray. He goes on, I will restore health. <clears throat> Your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they called you outcasts. 
It is Zion for whom no one cares. This is what they said about the nation of Israel. Ah, they're just garbage. They're just garbage. You guys ever look at the posters for the Holocaust? How they devalued the human life of the Jew? Take a close look at it because you're going to see those posters again. Only it won't be Jews on them. Or it won't be only Jews. They will make a comeback. There is still a nation to the progress of this world. There is still a, a uh, there's still an enemy to the progress of this world, and that enemy is people who are Christian. There's one voice out there saying, "Let's not have a global economy." What voice is that? That's Christians. There's one voice out there saying, "I don't know about having one world leader." What voice is that? Christian, if there's one enemy and it's Christian, what do you think is coming? Just they're going to love us? Oh, we love you guys. You're so nice. Big, giant pain in their butt. And the sooner they can get rid of you, the happier the world will be. Seems like Jesus talked about that too, right? Servants not greater than his master. If they hated me, they will hate you too. I watched a video today of a street preacher. I like street preachers. And uh, there's a street preacher just go set up on a corner with a little uh, mic and a, you know, little speaker and starts reading scripture and talking to people about the Lord. And people get angrier and angrier and the crowd gets bigger and bigger and shouting against him. And he just stays, actually stays super calm, does not I thought he did a really good job, actually. It was amazing how, how he, I thought he was bearing witness to Christ well. I didn't think he was uh, just trying to stir up pain to stir up pain, you know. So, so many people are quick to say them preachers, you know, they're, they, if, they wouldn't, if they use nicer words, people would love them. Well, that's not what Jesus said. But anyways, he did it for 20, about 20, I think the video is like 25 minutes long. You know how it ends? Preacher in handcuffs, put in the back of a cop car. Last I checked, that is all legal. He's in a public place. And it wasn't that long ago, people were running through the streets, building down police precincts and being told, we're not going to charge you with anything because we support your ideology. But they don't support his. The days are coming. So the Lord says, look, there's going to be a restoration, a restoration of the fortunes. Look at verse 18. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob and have compassion on his dwelling. The city will be rebuilt on its mound. Uh, Jerusalem is on a hill. The palace will stand where it used to be. There's no palace there, by the way. But when Jesus rules and reigns as king, there will be a palace again. Uh, why? Why is all this happening? What's the point of the restoration? Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving, the voices of those who celebrate. And I will multiply them, and they will not be few. So they're, it's going to magnify the mercy of God, and people are going to worship. Not because there's some you know big burly angel with a sword, and like, I better worship, or that guy's going to chop my head off. People are going to want to respond for what Christ has done for them. 
He says, they will not be few. I will make them honored, and they will not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out of their midst, not somebody who comes out of the sea. Revelation says there's a ruler who comes not out of the land. Where does he come from? The beasts come out of the sea. That scary place. The Lord says, no, on that day their ruler is going to come from among them. He'll be one of them. The ruler shall come from their midst. I will make him draw near. He shall approach me. For who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. You will be my people and I will be your God. Man, it's going to be a glorious day. Behold. The storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. And in the latter days, you will understand this. Now for them, for Judah at the time of Jeremiah, well, this doesn't have anything to do with them. The Lord is looking maybe at our time. I don't know. We'll see. But there are a lot of things prophetically that need to line up before we're all that worried about the end day, the great day. There's things that still have to happen. There's things we're looking for, but there's nothing we're looking for for the return of Christ. For, the, for, the, for Christ calling his church home, for the deliverance of the people, just like Enoch prior to the flood, just like Lot before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's nothing that stops that day. That day could happen any time. In fact, Jesus said, I don't even know the day. Only my Father in heaven. Do you know for the Hebrew wedding ceremony, it was only the father that could tell the son when to go get his bride? He would prepare a place for her. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to bring you unto myself that where I am there you will be also. But you know, it was only the boy's father. The boy would work on the place, the addition for his wife. The place that they were going to spend the rest of their lives And one day the father would come to the boy and say, go get your bride. And you know what he would do? He'd assemble the wedding party. They'd make a call out. They'd start blowing trumpets. They'd start marching through the city. Word would travel back to the the, um, bride's, uh, um, the virgins that would be with the bride. And they would hear, oh, he's coming. He's coming. Hear the sound of the trumpet? And they would grab their lamps. You know, traditionally, it would always happen at midnight just because they wanted it to be that much more of a surprise. So they'd fill their lamps with oil and they'd run down and they'd all go back to the place that he had prepared for his bride. That day can come anytime. And that will be a great and glorious day for the church. But it's not that glorious a day the day after for those who don't know Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus said he gave us a job to do. And the question we need to ask ourselves, am I doing my job? Am I telling as many people as I can? Jesus said, look, your job is just to tell. You don't save anybody. You just go tell them. Tell them your God story. Tell them what God means to you. Tell them whatever you're going to tell them. And if they don't take it, then you go to the next one. Your job not to convince anybody. Your job is to tell. And when you convince somebody, your job is to disciple. Right? To teach. To help them to grow. So that when Jesus Christ comes for his bride, we are ready. We want to be found ready. And that means, man, there's a lot of chaos in this world that needs more people standing on corners telling people about Jesus, no? And maybe one day that costs us something. But Paul would say he'd happily pay that price. Oh, anytime. It seemed like every time Paul went out and preached, somebody was trying to tear him apart. That's a good way to tell if you're doing what God wants you to do. <laughs> it's hard to tell when everybody gives you a thumbs up. That's hard. You get a couple thumbs down, you're probably hitting the right nerve. Right? Yeah, we want to be people who are ready. We have... Three more chapters like this, looking forward. The next one's dealing with the new covenant, which is the promise of the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's chapter 31. That'll be an exciting one. More exciting things to come as we look forward to the days yet ahead. I hope we will keep our eyes focused on the prize and do what it is God's called us to do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this study through Jeremiah, Lord. And I pray, God, as we look at the prophetic scriptures, Lord, we would understand, yes, yes, God, the word tells us that days will wax worse and worse. But you don't tell us that so that we lose hope. You tell us that so that we will lift our eyes and know that our redemption is drawing near and we would recognize the days are short and it's high time for us to awake out of sleep and do the things, God, you've been asking us to do. Maybe our generation is the one that sees the return of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's us that sees the rapture of the church. God, I pray if it is, we are a generation who are busy proclaiming the truth Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We take the opportunity to speak the truth in love. Recognize, Lord, that you are worthy. You are worth it all. So, Lord, I pray that we, your church, here today longing for your appearance would be busy doing what you've called us to do. And we give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.